0: This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible, and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. There are few books in the Bible that stir up controversy like Revelation. Few. Don't get me wrong, the Bible's got lots of controversy that's stirred up over, over its centuries and millennia, but Revelation has a way of just really of oh, it, it gets us spinning, uh, and either you're really excited about it, or you've got a whole lot of questions about it. Now, as we stir into this book, kind of make our way in, a couple background things. John the Apostle, the same one that wrote for us uh, the Gospel of John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, John is writing to us again. He's doing this in the end of the first century, uh, and as he writes, he's got an audience in mind, uh, and his audience is seven churches. Uh, he's writing to them. The first several chapters, uh, largely uh, the latter portion of chapter one, two, three, and then uh, kind of wrapping up at the end of three, is letters to these churches, uh, writing to them, telling them what's happening in their lives, uh, what he likes, uh, what he thinks is good, what is lacking. Uh, so something that you can kind of get into. And to that point, about chapter three, we're all on the same page. We can read it. And then what happens after chapter four is we step into something called apocalyptic literature. Uh, Now, if you don't read apocalyptic literature all the time, when you read Revelation, it's going to be what for you? A little bit jarring. It'll jolt you a little bit because you're just not accustomed to reading that. How many of you remember reading Shakespeare? Now, don't tell me if you loved it, but a couple of you really, really loved it. And then some of you were on my team. That was the, I don't know how to read it. I don't get it. Now maybe this is why my teacher in eighth grade maybe the county Paris. Just kill me off early in the play, she figured I didn't appreciate it, so just kill me early and I was done. Uh, So I look back and realize maybe that's why they did slay me so early in that production. But the unique thing for us is we have to go all the way and we're gonna go all the way into Revelation just to make sure that we understand what's happening. Now as you step into apocalyptic literature, you get some of this in Ezekiel, in Daniel, you get some in Matthew, in Mark, it's a type of writing. And it uses heavy symbols to unpack for us some truth that God has that we can't get human words around. And there's a whole lot about God that we can't get human words around. Welcome to the book of Revelation. It's giving you a vision of this grand thing that God's doing that's better than where you are now. Uh, So we're going to step in. And when we step in, we're going to start at the end. Uh, And that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time uh, this morning. Go to Revelation 21, verse 8. Because for some people, Revelation's just scary. So I thought we'd just get the scary stuff out there. Let's just put it on the table and know that this is our common beginning point. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Welcome to Jordan Lutheran Church. We are so glad you are here with us. We hope you enjoy your stay. It's a pleasant place. You see, 21 verse 8 starts out with this really kind of scary part that you... Don't like in Revelation because you're hearing of fire and sulfur and lakes burning and people dying. Uh, and then most of you felt safe in most places, but with all liars, you got a little concerned. Uh, the other ones you at least glossed over, whether you're guilty of them or not, you just kind of glossed those, but you hit all liars and you're like, not liking the lake. <laughs> See, when you're invited to the lake house now and your family invites you, you're like, no, I'll take a pass. No lake for me. Now, as we step in, what I want you to know is this. The penalty for disobeying God is real. John does not mince words. And he wants us to know if you are not in line with God, <laughs> you may not like this, you're going on a lake vacation. And you will not come back. It's a permanent one. Now, it's weird to start that jarring to the front of a sermon, but you've got to know that. That's where John begins. Foundationally, if you do not abide by what God has presented and shared, there is an end, and it's coming for you. And you've been warned. You know, it's the classic classroom experience, right? I didn't realize there'd be a quiz today. To which the teacher's like, no, every day I put the date of the next quiz. I, I, I no longer do pop quizzes, so I don't have you complain about this. I told you. And someone will still say what? I, I, didn't, I didn't know that, you know, the stuff you'd say in class would be tested on. Pastor, I didn't realize, like, when you said that God wanted me to repent that you were serious, I just thought that's what you do. Because you're the pastor, and, and we say some things, but I just thought that's, like, that's kind of your, that's like your chant, you know? You know, it's just kind of, that's what you say, and then we say stuff. Well, remember, out of the gate, uh, it's real. Now, what about this second death? To unpack that, so we just kind of go with a common understanding, the first death is physical death. Most of you understand physical death because you've been around it or you've been around someone who's dealt with it. It is the reality that at some point the body God gifted you with will cease to operate. Only amusing now slightly for me is I think about the battery in that computer that for whatever reason God's just given new life. And I use that somewhat jesting, but it's kind of there. But at some point, we all know that battery is going to die, and we just hope it's not like this service, right? We just want to see it make it through this worship service. Well, so it is with our own bodies that there's this physical death, but the second one is so much more severe because it's not a joking one. And you thought the physical one was the problem. The second death is actually eternal damnation. That's the second death. You would die physically, and spiritually, if you are dead at the death, physically, it's eternal damnation. You're like, wow. I thought we got that later in your sermon. This is a little early for that talk. Well, it's because to understand Revelation, you've got to know that's where John begins. He begins with an understanding that you're either in or you're out. But then the rest gets a whole lot better as it moves forward. Because John writes the heavy text, he also writes to remind people uh, of so much other stuff. You've got to put on kind of your, your Jesus lenses. Now, in the theater, this is neat, you all walked in and you saw this. They have that neat bin, right? When you come in, is that blue bin that most of you just think, man, this is in my way. Why is there a blue bin in the hallway? It's so you can put on 3D goggles. So if you come to a 3D movie, you want to see it in 3D. See, if you come to church and don't put on the glasses that tell you everything you see has to have Jesus filtered through it first, then you won't understand what's actually being preached. So just like the movie that's in 3D, if you don't have the goggles, it looks weird. You ever taken them off in the movie? And you look at it, you're like, I paid to see this? This is weird. And then you put it back on, and you go, (gasps) oh. See, Revelation's the same way. If you don't read Revelation with Jesus at the front of your eyes so you see everything through the light of who Christ is, then Revelation's going to be scary, and you'll wonder, why in the world did I come to church to hear this? But if you come to church knowing that Christ is at the front, then it changes everything else. John will use reference several times to this language of Jesus being the Lamb. We'll hear uh, this morning, we hear it many times before uh, in communion. John 1.29, in the gospel, as John writes his gospel account, John the Baptist comes and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John wants you to know that. It's expected that you do. So when you hear Jesus, you think lamb, sacrificial lamb, the one who's shedding his blood for me, and I'm all right, and I can move forward. This is the Jesus lens you have to have on. I'm all right because the blood of the lamb has covered me. And that I'm okay with blood, which again, if you don't have Jesus lenses on, most of you aren't cool with blood. My son busted his nose up really, really bad. Schools don't like bloody noses. They like parents coming and taking away children who have bloody noses. And so I made the march up, and, and he's all right. So if you look and some of you are like, what did Pastor do to his son during the week? I didn't. It was like step two or three on a playground. I think the playground has one win. Nathan has one loss. And that's all right. Uh, I guarantee you he went back and fought that playground the next day and has vanquished it uh, at this point. But we move forward to realize what blood is and how it moves is explained for us in Christ. Now, that's all kind of weird because what's going on with blood and why did we need blood? So to unpack Revelation, if you want for a second, we're going to stay here, but you can go to Romans 8. Because I want you to understand the challenge of why Revelation is written is what Paul writes to us. He says this For the creation waits with eager longing. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free. From its bondage to corruption and obtain a freedom for the glory of the children of God. That all creation is actually, get ready for this, all creation is being oppressed right now. The very creation you live in is under the duress and oppression of sin and corruption that came in in Genesis 3. You see, you can't read Revelation unless you remember the beginning. You've got to know the beginning to understand the end. And the beginning says all creation is aching and crying. And it's all waiting for things to be fixed. So as creation's crying out, Paul takes us to the next passage. It's just a few verses later. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. So creation is all groaning. Think about that. (laughs) The cavity in your mouth. The jealousy in your heart, the anger about a next-door neighbor, the challenge of of a diagnosis you just got, uh, the pain of dealing with some treatment, all that stuff, that's groaning. That's reality. That's what Paul told us would take place. I'm not saying it makes it better, but I am letting you know God warned you. God said it'd be this way. So when we get up in a toughest people and say, well, I'm not ready for this, you don't really get to choose whether you're ready for it the world we were born into that is corrupted by sin has these things already. Uh, It doesn't, I I wish I had a button to fix it. I've talked to many people across my years serving in this church. If I had a button to fix immediate problems, man, I'd press it for you. I would. I'm not trying to hold back anything. And neither is God. The challenge is his plan to resolve things is bigger than actually sometimes our request. Because our request is about who many times? Us or our immediate sphere. We get so wrapped up in us or what's happening around us, we forget God might be doing something cosmic. (laughs) He may actually be doing something so large that it's bigger than what I could imagine. And that's where we are in the book of Revelation. We've got this challenge of this lake of fire, this concern that's going on. And so as we step and go back to chapter 21, and as we step back in, I want you to see now the beginning of the end. Revelation 21, verse 1. So we started at the end on verse 8, the challenge of second death, but now you go back to verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the tail end of the vision. You've got chapter 21 and chapter 22. But many of you need to know this is the zenith. This is the best of Revelation. If you didn't know it, then, hey, I'm giving it to you now. This is the highlight. The highlight happens right here in these verses. It's the end of the vision where as John is being relayed through Christ and an angel that reads, I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. All the challenge, all the strife, it's, it's gone. You see, I wanted to pick up the book of Revelation in a place that many of you probably, if you, if you read through all of it, you made it. If you didn't, you got hung up somewhere in the middle where it got weird with dragons and circles and chairs and thrones and other things you're like, I don't get it and you just stopped. Well, the challenge is you should never made it to the part right here where it says, guess what? All that stuff is gone. It's a new heaven. It's a new earth. And we're linked now back to Genesis. Because in Genesis, we were told what? In the beginning, God made the... You guys know this, right? It's not about baseball. I know. The beginning, it's not. In the beginning, God made the heaven and the earth. God made it. And now, at the end, the second to last chapter of the book, John writes and says, guess what? New heaven, new earth. It's restoration time. It's what God's been doing all along. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. I talked uh, during Bible class just a little bit before our service this morning and unpacked this reminder that so much of what happens in Revelation is the heavenly picture of Christ's ascension. In Revelation chapter 5, Jesus is enthroned. You have what we saw in Acts 1, verse 6 through 11 of Jesus' ascension. You may recall the disciples like, whoa, he's looking up. And an angel will say to the guy, stop looking up into heaven. Uh, he's up there. He'll come back the same way. Stop looking up. Live your life, which is what I hope you'll do at the end of Revelation this morning. Stop being worried about Revelation. Live your life. God's got the Revelation stuff. He's removed all the scary stuff. But as the text continues, it says this voice from heaven says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The last time God was dwelling with man in an unhindered way was in the garden. In the temple, he was actually reserved to the Holy of Holies. In one unique place, he was set there, but guarded, and people couldn't see him. But now in Revelation 21, guess what? He's back. And he's back, and there's no veil, there's no challenge, there's no you have to do this. It's all restored. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Do you remember these echoes? I hope some of you are recalling the echoes of having read the Old Testament now. The echo you should have in your mind is, I will be your God, you will be my people. Said again and again and again in the Old Testament. And as John's wrapping things up for those 66 books we now know as the Bible, he writes and says, guess what? He's still our God, and we are his people. But the definition of people has gotten get ready, it's good. Wider and broader, and the expanse has no limit. Because who's gathered? And I saw before the throne every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue. This is awesome. This is the God that we know in Revelation. All the scary stuff, don't get hung up on it. If you don't ever read the middle stuff that's weird to you anymore, I'm fine. Just read Revelation 21 and 22. You'll like it. It's really good news. And it helps you understand we've got to get back to the garden. But along the way, it's a bumpy road. It's not always all that much fun. Because the fall led to selfish, sinful realities. This is for us a reminder of Christmas. Remember that great Advent hymn? O come, O come, Emmanuel. Which means what? God with us. Revelation 21. God is now dwelling with us again. What you see is John's taking everything and he's putting them all and he's just kind of putting a nice bow on everything. It's all coming back together all the pieces that you heard from genesis and man we were no longer with a garden we can't be around god uh, god doesn't want to be with his people how do i get to temple can i do am i am i safe to go to temple i'm not a priest i don't know if i can well now at the end guess what it's a priesthood of all believers we're all gathered every tribe and nation and language and tongue is all assembled they're all there and there's no more crying no more weeping no more mourning none of those things and the second death doesn't scare you because to you You're already alive, because God made you alive in the waters of baptism, fed you at his table, and nourishes you every day at his word. You see, that death isn't something you're worried about. So the person who's all like, man, there's scary stuff in Revelation, I hope you can take them under your arm next time and say, let me tell you the good stuff. Because everybody wants to tell you all the scary stuff. Why don't you tell them all the good stuff? Because the good stuff far outweighs anything that's scary. Because the scary stuff is what? No more. Try it on for size. It's fun to say. The scary stuff is no more. Now actually say it like you're excited about it. Ready? The scary stuff is yeah. See, it's fun when you rest. It's gone. That's not there for us. Isaiah wrote it this way, so I'm trying to bounce a couple places for you this morning that you see Revelation isn't alone, Revelation connects it all. Isaiah writes, this is the second to last chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah's got 66 chapters, Uh, neat way again to remember the books of the Bible, right? 66 books, Isaiah's got 66 chapters, Uh, random thought for you. But here we go, Isaiah 65, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, the former things shall not be remembered, get ready, or come into mind. When's the last time you actually totally forgot about something you forgave someone for? Be honest. And don't raise your hand. I'm serious. When's the last time you actually totally forgot something that you forgave? If you're human like I am, most of the things we've we've forgiven, there's a little vault that we store. We don't tell people about it. It's a very quiet vault, uh, but it's there. And when you need it, you do what? You unlock that little vault, and you open it up. And then a huge scroll comes out and you start reading it off to people. And they say, huh, well, I guess forgiveness in your life doesn't look the way it does in mine. But God acts differently than us. That's the joy of a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not like us. It will not come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be joy and her people to be a gladness. You've been around that type of person, a person who you cannot be upset around? They're really cool. Uh, They're infectious. It's a person who you just kind of sit there and you go, I don't even know why I'm happy, uh, but I think it has to do with something they're doing. You may not even know what they're doing. You're just, it's a glad person. That's what God says he's going to recreate. I create for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. We haven't seen that yet. You've seen glimpses of it, but you've never actually seen the full restoration. It hasn't happened, uh, but it's going to move slowly but surely. But the renewal is coming. And as the renewal happens, we move now back to Revelation, verse 4. We've kind of been stacking through the first three verses. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that amazing with kids when you see those big crocodile tears come down and you wipe one or two off their face and and you ask them, is it better? It's crazy because you know what they actually say? Because they just want to be embraced. They they, want to be held tight. (laughs) They may actually still be in a whole lot of pain, but they know sometimes talking about the pain doesn't help. They just say that's good because they've learned that if they say that's good, you know what adults and grown-ups do to kids when they say the hug feels good? They squeeze a little bit tighter. And then you squeeze a little bit tighter, and then if you're lucky, you get a giggle. (laughs) And, And you see it changes And it goes from sorrow and tears to gladness. And it makes this transition. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And all God's people said it will be no more. You see, this is the whole theme of the close of Revelation. All that that you're worried about, it will be no more. It's not going to carry over you any longer. Because God's testimony speaks a more assuring word than men. John wrote in 1 John, if you recall, just two weeks ago, as we were looking at First, Second, and Third John, he says the testimony of God is greater than the testimony of men. See, this is Revelation 21 saying God's got more to say to you than maybe you were listening to. He's got more to calm you down than you have to be anxious and nervous about. As long as, get ready, this is a whole Bible thing too, as long as you're willing to... As long as you're willing to let these little dumbo things on the side of your face actually take in these weird little auditory sounds so your brain can process and realize God's got a more assuring word. Verse 5 and 6 take us in this way. And he who's seated on the throne, do you get this? Not one who's aspiring to the throne, not one who might get there, not one who may be coronated there, the one on the throne, the one in charge, the one who has what we say in the Lord's Prayer, all power, glory, and dominion, right? Remember that doxology we put on the end of the Lord's Prayer? For yours is the power, the glory, and the... Like, this is it. This is the one. That voice is speaking to you and me this morning and says, he was seated on the throne and said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now, a couple of you went to a place that I did when I read that text. Went to a well. And it's the middle of the day. We got another lady. And guess what? She's a what? She's a Samaritan. (laughs) And that good Samaritan uh, that we heard about when the kids were here in their lesson, Samaritans aren't the kind of people we want to interact with because they're just, they're not our people. (laughs) Which is sad, isn't it, about humans? Isn't it weird that we have people? That's sad. (laughs) We all came from the exact same lineage. (laughs) We all came out of Adam and Eve. There's lots of different tribes and trees and colors and all those different things. Isn't that sad? Somehow we can say we have people and you guys know what I'm talking about. You're like, yeah, that's disappointing. But as we get here, it says, I'm done. To the thirsty, I'll give from the spring. Well, that Samaritan woman who goes to the well, she's there in the middle of the day. And she's there because no one draws water in the middle of the day because you've got to carry the water back. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, no cars, no mopeds, no anything, no aqueduct, no viaduct. We're not taking it in any easy way. We got to, what you pack in, you pack out. And she's there and Jesus is with her. And Jesus comes to her and kind of asks, hey, what are you doing? She says, well, I'm here to get well. And she talks about it being, you know, the, the well that's got some history and it's got Israelite history. And, you know, this is a great well. And Jesus goes, I got a better well. It's living water. And she says, tell me about this living water. I'd like to know it. And he says these words to her. On John four fourteen, interesting isn't it draws from John's gospel you see John has all the little keys to help unlock for us what's going on that thirst John hope that you've read his gospel because you should get this connection as John writes and talks about this water whoever drinks of the water that I give you that I give him will never be thirsty again Jesus speaks to that woman and says whoever drinks of the water that I will, will never be thirsty again The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's revelation spoken to you this day. God comes and says, I'm giving you the water that will give you eternal life. There is no second death you need fear. Because you have already died and your death happened with Christ. That's Romans 6 stuff. That's all the building that we have built on over this past year that God speaks to us and says, I've done the work for you. I've accomplished it all. I just need you to listen and rejoice. May you go with your heads high, knowing that God has you today, he will have you tomorrow, and he has promised he will have you unto eternity. To him be all power and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person on behalf of everyone at Jordan. We hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.